Welcome to the second half of The People Show. I'm Vic. We'll connect with Ian McIntyre in just a moment. Text message inbox fired up after that opening conversation about Aaron Rodgers. Get those submissions in as well for free takes. We'll do that in just a minute. But let's connect with our guy, Ian McIntyre, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Uh, You hear him on radio here, on TVs, or your online streams, or you read him at sportsnet.ca as well. Ian, how are you? I'm doing well, Bic. How's how's your energy level? You're about... Uh, um, not even at the quarter pole of this marathon of having a talk show during two months of Stanley Cup playoffs. Ian, we've discussed quarter pole before. <laughs> That's it's, true, it's, we have. <laughs> it's the end, not the start. I forgot. I forgot. Man, did I mention quarter poles to the wrong guy. <laughs> uh, no, but my energy level is fantastic. Uh, th- these playoffs have been uh, very... Uh, very re-energizing. I, I've been gripped to the television uh, yeah. for all well, these. The, the first round always seems to be so good, mm-hmm. even when it just goes more or less to plan. And, and there's been some real shocks. Uh, in this first round, uh, it's, you know, we saw in the regular season, uh, especially with the team that we saw most often, the Vancouver Canucks, we saw that no lead was safe and no deficit seemed unconquerable. Mm-hmm. But who would have thought that it would largely be the same in in the playoffs? That's that's what has really surprised and delighted me in some of these games. Uh, the teams coming back from three goals down in in the third period, and yeah, you you'd say you know it could happen to uh, a new team, uh, but to have it happen to the Tampa Bay Lightning who just went to the last three finals and and you know the the series is I I wasn't going to say it was in their hands but certainly they they still had a chance to drive it or direct it and you know gave up the the lead against Toronto and oh my goodness are the Maple Leafs actually going to win a series What's been the most entertaining series for you Hmm. I should have I should have thought about this because I should have yeah. an answer ready, uh, shouldn't I? You know, Edmonton and and L.A. I don't think the games themselves has have necessarily been been the most gripping, but maybe because you know Edmonton in a way is like Maple Leafs light, where they have they have these two world class players and have had them for several years, and other than than one playoff run. Uh, they just haven't haven't been able to put it together, and here we are now. It's it's I guess it's getting close to mid career for dare we say mid career for Connor McDavid. Yeah. So seeing seeing Edmonton in L.A. And, and also the fact it's a rematch, and you know the Kings are are an interesting team because they're seen as as a bit of a template for the kind of rebuild on on the fly or a quick turnaround in a rebuild. So I've I've been I've enjoyed watching that series. I, I enjoy the enthusiasm that the Seattle Kraken bring, and and not realizing that they're supposed to be overmatched. Uh, but the Toronto the Toronto Tampa series is is has been great too. There's a little bit of everything in that one. I, I was thinking the other night uh, watching the Kraken beat uh, 
the, the, the Avs in OT. And just obviously you mentioned Toronto, the, what they've been doing. And just trying to watch these playoffs, and you, you try to watch everything through the lens of you know being in Vancouver and, and what it means for Canucks fans. And I, I'm just curious, and, and Canucks fans can chime in 650-650, but, but does what we're watching with the Kraken and Toronto, their playoffs so far, it, does it provide the Canucks a little bit of hope? Because here's the Toronto Maple Leafs who have never gotten over that obstacle of either the Boston Bruins or the Tampa Bay Lightning. And you know we were talking to J.D. Bunkus earlier this week, and he said, hey, like fans are falling in the trap again. And I know we've talked about that before of what the end of season looked like for the Canucks. And do fans want to jump, be willing to jump into the trap again of what the next season looks like? And here's Seattle, who didn't even have a team two years ago, and yep. they're taking on the, the Cup champions. I, I'm curious if, if for people, do, do, do the Kraken and the Leafs provide some hope? Well, they're very, they're, to me, they're in very different situations. Uh, like the narrative around them is, to me, not not similar. Now, first of all, as, as far as Toronto goes, they're not over the hump yet. they got to <laughs> win another game. And I don't think it's going to be in Game 5. But who knows? But the, Toronto has been a very good team for a bunch of years. In fact, they were a very good team even before Kyle Dubas took over and and sort of reframed uh, the narrative about that team and what they're about. And so they're, they're kind of like the Canucks, only a more extreme example before the Canucks slayed the dragon they'd had a very good team the previous two years but at least they'd won first round series vancouver has you know toronto hasn't won anything but they have had a very good team for a number of years so it shouldn't be a shock that they might actually eventually just maybe win a series and and go on to something but you know if they even if they do get through the first round i'm not sure they're getting through the second seattle though you know, not just because they're an expansion team, but look how look how disappointing they were a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people had picked them to be a playoff-worthy team in their first season, and they, in fact, were one of the worst teams in the NHL. And, yeah, there's a lot of reasons for that. There always is. It's not easy to be that bad. There's always reasons why you're that bad. But to see the the way they have rebounded – and what they they look capable of doing now, not just to make the playoffs. Again, you know, who picked them to be a playoff team? I'm sure somebody's saying, I did, I did. <laughs> but after their first season, I didn't pick them to be going back to the playoffs. And now they're they're facing, they're giving the Stanley Cup champions all they can handle. And don't look out of, don't look out of place. But I think the reason, especially beyond all that, the reason that the, the Kraken should give teams hope who think that if you can get yourself into the playoffs and you have a chance is look at their team. I mean, they're fast and they're fun to watch and their defense is pretty solid, but they have no Quinn Hughes. Mm-hmm. They don't have Elias Pedersen. They, they don't have JT Miller and, and they certainly don't have Thatcher Demko in net. You know, Seattle's goaltending was, has been pretty mediocre and that's, being generous, you know, during the regular season. And yet here they are because like we've seen so often in the past with good teams, it's all about the sum of its parts. And somehow right now, what Hackstall has going there, they're, they're better than any of their individual parts. And, And some of their parts are pretty good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying they're a team without talent. They've got a lot of, 
uh, a lot of kind of sneaky skill, like guys who are playing down the lineup but have have decent uh, skill, and they have a ton of speed, and they seem to to play the same way. And you know, I wonder if, in some respects, the Avalanche was an ideal uh, opening round opponent for them. You wouldn't think that on the surface, and I, I, I didn't think that before the series started, but just watching the way the games are played, you know, Colorado is is a real fast, uh, up-tempo team that pushes a pace and, and creates chances and gives up chances. Maybe that's kind of mm-hmm. opponent that, that's really good for Seattle because they like to play the same way. The, they like to, to skate and, and get up and down the ice uh, I'm not sure that anybody, a, any team admits that it likes to trade chances, and certainly no coaches do. But that's that just seems to be how this series, how this series is. So, you know, great for Seattle. Does it give hope to people in Vancouver? I don't know. People here have been disappointed so long. I think it's going to take more than seeing another team uh, do well to restore some hope. But it certainly is great for hockey in the Pacific Northwest and great for, uh, for Seattle and the NHL's newest team that they've been able to rebound the way they have in such, uh, after such a disappointing first season. Yeah, and, and, and to get to the stages where you're fulfilling hope uh, with promise and potential, uh, the Canucks are going to have to have a good offseason. And this offseason, look, we, we say this every year, every summer, it's, this is the most important offseason. And it's true. And I, I'm not saying that this is easier offseason for Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford and the entire uh, Canucks front office staff. But does this offseason feel a bit simpler to you? Like last year we came into it and it was like, what happens with Miller? When are they going to sign Horvat? And things evolved and the, the conversations changed. But th- there was a lot hanging in the balance. It feels like everything's a bit more defined this year. Yeah, there's not there's not the the massive decisions that they seem to have going into last off season and and especially what there is not this year is there's not dysfunction. You know, even last year at the end of the year, the what was what was said by Rutherford about Boudreaux, what Boudreaux had said about feels like he's earned, you know, a, a, another contract and yet of course didn't didn't get one. Uh, it just felt uneasy, and uh, I know, and I've said this before on on maybe on your show, Bick. I've when you talk to the players, especially in hindsight after the coaching change, uh, a lot of them could feel, you know, that that tension, that disharmony coming into this season, that because it was such an odd situation, and it, it to then of course they started terrible on on the road trip terribly on the road trip and and everything everything snowballed everything just you know got exponentially worse and I think you could trace a lot of that to that dysfunction uh, that kind of framed a lot of things it framed the, the training camp uh, it framed the start of the season it framed what became you know public disharmony with some of the criticism from Rutherford about about um uh, the way the team was playing under Boudreaux, it framed a lot of things. It fueled a lot of things. So that they don't have that this year. So that, that that's a huge plus. But they still have they still have decisions to make. They still have to make room uh, to add the pieces that they want to add. They talked about adding a third line center. That's great. Now how are you going to pay for it? 
How are you going to fit a, th- a third line center? Assuming you're going to go get a guy who's got some experience and is going to give you confidence in that position. Well, you're not getting that guy on entry level. That's not a, that's not the next Curtis Lazar. You know, you're not getting that guy for a million dollars. So how are you going to pay for it? And, and that's the other part that we always get back to in these discussions is, you know, who are they going to trade? Whose contracts are they going to be able to offload? Now they've, they've said they're not doing buyouts. That was, one of the news nuggets from Patrick Alvine, uh, no buyouts. It uh, didn't really surprise me that they wouldn't do buyouts. It just surprised me how emphatically he said that that was, that was their position at this point. So, so no buy, buyout for, for OEL. So he's back, which, which means they, they, I think they've got to find an exit on, on Tyler Myers if, if they're, if they're planning for OEL to be back, then I just don't see how Myers is back as well. And yet, that's not going to be people say, oh, it's only a million in salary, and that's true, and it's only one year of term, and that's true. It's still a $6 million cap hit uh, for a player who struggled mightily this year. Nobody's going to do the Canucks a favor and just take that on. So so that's that's the issue. The other, the other part of it is because it's possible they're going to have trouble uh, getting out from those contracts, then you, then you got to make a trade. And, and that trade talk always gets back to the same two guys, Brock Besser and Connor Garland. One guy's making just a little under seven. The other guy's making this a smidge under five. Neither one of those contracts are going to be easy to move, but those are players that – if you set the if you set the money aside, the salary side, those are players that should have some interest from other teams, and then it's a matter of making the salary work. How do you make that salary work? Do you take back a bad contract uh, in return, but still gives you some more breathing room, or do you retain some contract, uh, some of the salary here? Uh, but there's still those big, still those decisions to make. Uh, in your uh, priorities uh, for the offseason, you mentioned upgrading the defense, but also it was headlined by uh, Elias Pettersson and obviously finding a long-term solution uh, for Elias Pettersson. Uh, news today that he's not going to be playing in the World Championships uh, over insurance issues, but you know, to, to me, it, I, I wonder again if this is kind of a signal that uh, from Pettersson's camp too – they want to get something done uh, for a long-term extension as well. This, this yeah, I, I, I mean, I think they do want to get something done. I don't really see this as a as a signal of that. I, I see this, you know, for a lot of things. Number one, it's it's as has has been reported. You know, there's there's insurance issues, and it's not just insurance on on what uh, you know Pedersen is making now. It's what he stands to make on a, on mm-hmm. his next contract. But I also think it's partly about priorities and you know wanting to be ready and as good as you can be for this team and uh, you know I'm someone who believes that players should uh, do everything they can to support their national teams and should when when they're able when when it things align that they go play at the world championships but we saw how badly uh, the Canucks started last year uh or the, the previous year was really tough for Pedersen, and he didn't get he didn't get the summer training that he would have liked because of his wrist injury. And I think 
I think it's partly prioritizing now just completely being able to build your schedule around getting ready uh, for the NHL season. And if you go to the World Championships, it's, you're not only risking injury, but you're going to expel, uh, use a lot of energy and a lot of your focus of your off season is going to be on that, both playing in it and then recovering from it. Because it means your time off is going to be after the World Championships instead of right now for a couple of weeks, which means you're not going to get back to your quote-unquote, you know, usual routine for the summer until later on. So I, I'm not surprised by it. I'm not disappointed by it. I think it's, I think it's a, a smart decision. I think it's a decision that actually helps the helps the Canucks, even though this was Pedersen's call. I think it it's good for them and what they're trying to plan for uh, for next season. Yeah, you know the, the the international thing. I think in North America we kind of look at the World Championships and say, yeah, you know, it's it's great that he's not expending energy. But you know, in in Europe it's a big deal, and and for them it's it's huge. And I'm with you. I think it's it's great for the Canucks. But you always do like to see players take up that international cause when they have the opportunity to do so. Yeah, I mean for sure. When 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 like I say, when possible, you'd like them. You'd like them to go and, and support their, their teams because I know as a Canadian, sometimes I feel pretty crappy when, when guys don't want to go play for Team Canada. And and you're right, it is it, the World Championships are a much bigger deal in Europe than they are here. And I imagine there's a lot of people disappointed in Sweden that, that Pedersen's not going to be playing. But I also think you don't, even if you're disappointed, you don't really have to analyze this too hard to see the sense in it from his perspective. Uh, the, the, since the last time we've talked to you, uh, there has been uh, coaching changes as well. A shuffle on the bench. Uh, much to read into this, or is this just uh, the, the the Canucks kind of finalizing the numbers behind the bench? Yeah, you're talking about Jason King leaving. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, I think you know they added. They didn't only add the head coach. They added the his two assistants, although technically Gonchar, I can't remember what his title is. It's not assistant coach, but that's, that's what he's Hockey doing expert. for, right. For half his time. And so the three came and only on only two left. Cause Trent call went, uh, when Boudreaux went. So I'm not, I'm not completely surprised in that respect. I, I've, you know, I've seen a lot of good people in this business over the years. It is a brutal business. I've seen lots of good people, uh, lose lose their jobs, you know where you know they were they were very good at Nolan Baumgartner is a really good coach, but you know he was he was closely tied with with Travis Green. Of course, Travis is a good coach too, but I'm talking about the guys who who are kind of hit by the shrapnel in, in these moves when you change head coaches. And and Jason King got hit by got hit by the shrapnel. I, I'm sure he's going to bounce back because he is he is a good coach. Uh, I think. You know the Canucks will be able to absorb his duties with the people they have. That they don't need to go and get somebody else. And and even before that move was made, you know I know that they like a lot what uh, Yogi Svevchkovsky, whose name I can never say because luckily his first one is so memorable, so I don't have to worry about his last name when I'm talking to him. But he's their skills coach and has really impressed. People. So whether it means an enhanced role for him, it was an enhanced role this season uh, versus last season. Whether it means you know uh, an actual posting as an assistant coach instead of a 
a skills coach or a development coach, I don't know, but I think he's going to have a bigger role. And then, of course, you, you do have the two guys that uh, Rick Tockett brought with him, Adam Foote and, and Sergey Gonchar. And, and those guys, with their experience and their influence uh, with Tockett, uh, I think, you know, either or both of them could have uh, an, a more significant role or an even bigger role, or at least, let's put it this way, have his, have his role uh, formalized with um, specific duties and, you know, the title's not going to change, but I think you could see a little more concrete direction on what those guys are going to handle from the start of next season versus coming in mid-season. Uh, he is Ian McIntyre, uh, Sportsnet's triple threat. If you haven't read his Brock Besser piece as well, uh, make sure you jump online to sportsnet.ca. Uh, a tremendous piece uh, posted last Friday. But you can find it at IMAX Sportsnet. Uh, Ian, appreciate it. Thanks for the tout. Thanks for reading my piece. And yeah, it was really great. I'm not, I'm not sure I'll be on next week because I'm not sure what my schedule is going to be. But as news arises and if I get to really sink my teeth into playoff series, I'll look forward to Getting back on the air with you, Bick, and uh, passing some time on the air. In, enjoy your summer if we don't speak to you soon. Yeah, well, unfortunately, my summer still feels like a long way away, <laughs> as it does for most people in Vancouver when you look at the weather we've been having. But uh, I'll, our paths will cross. I'll look forward to that, and I am looking forward to some time off. But that's not going to be for a while. Take care. Uh, See you, Bick. It is. Ian McIntyre here on The People's Show, Sportsnet 650. Again, at IMAX Sportsnet on Twitter. And uh, his link to the, the, the Besser piece is up on his Twitter page. It's, it's, it's a great read. Uh, I, I know it was discussed uh, on Friday uh, on the station. But uh, if you haven't read it, uh, do go check it out. All right, before we go, uh, we got like 90 seconds here. Dom, do we have a uh, tell you that for free? Or uh, a, a free take? Uh, you want the music? Ah, uh, sure. Why not? Just, just pot up prod burly, Ben. <laughs> with, with ninety seconds to go, we'll, we'll do some last minute adjustments. I, I, I've got this take here, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this for free. I was watching Draft Day last night. Kevin Costner, NFL Draft movie, all time great bad movie. It's, it's so enjoyable. You do it every year. Yeah, have to. But it, it did occur to me last night, like. You know, there's the MCU. We need a DDU. I'll tell you that for free. A draft day universe. Or draft day cinematic universe. DDCU, I guess. Because think of all the storylines that can spin off of this. I need to know if Bo Callahan was a bust. I need to know, like, Bo Callahan's college career. I want to know Vontae Mack's backstory. I, I want to know how the owner built his wealth through sports. Or through... To, to, Earned his wealth to buy a sports team through wa his water park empire. Give me a mini series like Succession. I, I want to know how the, the I, you know I want to know how the Seahawks did with Bo Callahan. Man, I need to know if Sonny Weaver and Allie, you know, if everything worked out between those. I two. I want to know like what happens to the kid? Does the kid take over the Cleveland Browns in in 35 years? Did Coach we need, Penn, we need answers to all of these things? Did Coach Penn get fired? Yeah, He's still working with the team, and and how come he got fired in in Dallas? They won Super Bowls. How how did he get fired? I want to know that story. There's a draft day cinematic universe. I'll tell you that for free. I want to know if Jeff Carson, the uh, 
the make Jaguars GM. Yeah, the make believe GM uh, made it through a season being a pushover. Yeah, what were any one of those second rounders a hit? I want to know. But what a unleft questions. Yeah, clearly. By draft day. Uh, all right, good stuff. Just the one free take today. Sorry, we ran out of time. One more for you, quick one. Okay. Arsenal is not winning the uh, Premier League. I'll tell you that for free. I mean, that was pretty much already sorted before today. That was bad. You know, we'll, we'll get into that tomorrow a little bit. That was that was a rough match. Maybe we invite Izzy Fair to the show tomorrow. And Randy Janda. <laughs> Postseason roundtable. And if the season's not even over yet. <laughs> oh, man. All right. We got to run. Good stuff uh, today in the inbox, as always. Uh, on the way, NHL playoffs later tonight. Abbotsford Canucks at 7 o'clock here on Sportsnet. 650.